I really love my family. I respect how they want to deal with this. And they don't want to talk about it. The stuff that's unsaid, it's, it can haunt us. You're listening to The Final Say, conversations with people facing death. I'm Deborah Jarvis, and The Final Say is the podcast where you can get comfortable talking about death and learn some things about life from people who are facing death. My guest today is Dr. Mark Goulston. Mark is a board-certified psychiatrist, the author of several books, and his book, Just Listen, became the top book on listening in the world. He's also a death and dying specialist, a former police hostage negotiator, and the host of his own podcast, My Wake Up Call. And yes, Dr. Mark Goulston is facing his death. I'll let him explain. About two and a half years ago, I uh, was diagnosed with uh, lymphoma, follicular lymphoma. Okay. But apparently it's the kind that a lot of people live with for years. But I had this pesky anemia and I got all these various treatments that didn't help. And so I got a bone marrow biopsy and it indicated that I have high risk MDS, myelodysplastic syndrome. I, I lucked out because all my children matched as donors and my son's going to be the donor. Wow. I have never had so much interest in me, really, in my life. I mean, if, if I knew I was going to get this much interest in me, I, I, would, have, I would have planned on dying sooner, really. <laughs> I didn't realize how many people care about me. It's like listening to eulogies before you die. Hey, that's great. Take it in. As a therapist, you know, most of my patients wanted relief more than they wanted insight. And insight doesn't necessarily lead to relief when you're really, when you're suicidal. I was a suicide yeah. prevention specialist. Yeah. I was a death and dying specialist. I did house calls to dying patients. So there's a certain irony, but I've been kind of immersed in this whole space for 40 plus years. And so I've learned a lot. I've learned what makes for a uh, a good death, what makes for a not so good death. Right. And, uh, and so I'm sharing this, these things on these channels and it's just to share them. Uh, you know, at this stage of my life, I, uh, you know, I'm not focused on, well, I was never very good at focusing on money anyway. I've always tried to make a difference, but uh, now it's, purely to make a difference and share kind of what I've learned. Uh, you know, someone said, how are you doing, Mark? And I said, instead of saying I'm fine, I said, well, I got a couple issues. And uh, he said, oh, what, what's that? And then I just allowed emotion to come up inside me. And I looked at him and I said, I might be dying. Talk about a showstopper. That's an attention grabber. That's a jaw dropper. And then it was too late to put the genie back in the bottle. I got emotional. Not boo-hoo, poor me. It was just just open. Yeah. And I got embarrassed. I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry. I, and he said, don't apologize. This is a gift, Mark. 
this is the most emotionally intimate conversation I've ever had in my life. He said, I'm envious of you because how open you are. I don't see you as emotional. I see you as free. Wow. He said, I don't think I've ever felt that free, that open, that safe with anyone. And then another person said, uh, thank you for the gift of accepting my caring. And then what happened is I started forming my own 700 club because spontaneously people would say 24-7, Mark. This is interesting to me in the sense that the question it brings up to me is what is it about death that makes people stop in their tracks and suddenly say to you, 24-7, Mark, what do you think that is? That And I've, I've seen it myself when there's a threat of death or an assurance of death, suddenly everybody screeches to a halt and everything changes. Well, what I figured out is they wanted more of a conversation like this. Oh. You know, be, because it, it was so real and honest mm -hmm. and undeniable that I think they wanted to have more of that because it was just so different from their usual conversations. You know, part of my mission in life is to help bring back emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's dying. It, it lost the race to excitement. And oxytocin lost out to adrenaline. And people became addicted to adrenaline and they're impatient. And, mm -hmm. and when you go into an adrenaline crash... You'll buy things to get it back. Yeah. Whereas oxytocin, I've been running on oxytocin for 50 years and it's saved lives. Mm -hmm. But it requires a kind of patience. You have to let go of your agenda. And it can be risky for people, Mark. That's been my experience. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I want to I, I want to break in and ask you, have you spoken to people that didn't offer 24-7, that shut the conversation down once possible death appeared? I haven't had to because I think what I've had built into me for some time, even before I got the lymphoma, is, you know, people who are died in the wool transactional. I wouldn't have this kind of conversation because, because instinctively, I wouldn't feel it would be appropriate I would feel that it would cause them to feel awkward because that's not their deal. Right. And to be honest, I don't have them in my life anymore. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I don't wish them harm. I just wish them away. <laughs> I see. And I, I ask this because often when I'm with patients and we're having or have had a wonderful, real, authentic, connecting conversation. And then a family member will come in and suddenly everything gets shut down because that family member is just what you were talking about. They're not safe. They're awkward. They're transactional. They don't want to talk about this. Don't talk like that. Everything's going to be fine. You can't just divorce all of your family members. So then I just see these patients unable to talk to people that they've known all their lives, but they can't have that kind of conversation with them. And I just find that so heartbreaking. 
Oh, can I give you some tips because I coach people, you know, coach therapists how to how to I'm break. all for tips. Give me tips. So the patient you're speaking to, and this is a loved one, but the conversation is so awkward. And it may be that the other person doesn't necessarily not want to have the conversation. They don't know how to, and they're and they're feeling powerless is scaring them. And so something, you know, that patients can say to such people is to say, uh, if I was you, so they're saying this to this their, their family member, if I was you, I'd want to change the subject too, because I wouldn't know what to say. Yeah. So you're letting them off the hook. You're giving them a little insight into themselves. I mean, the horse may have left the barn with how awkward they feel. But when you sort of say that, that's kind of what's going on. And you're uh, empathizing with them. Yeah. Tell me what you think happens when you die. Where do you go? What are your spiritual beliefs around that? I'm not religious. I don't think I'm spiritual when people say, Mark, Mark, you are spiritual. Okay, well, if, you know, if you, if you say so, if you can tell me what it means. And in one of my episodes of I'm Dying to Tell You, I had this revelation that I don't exist. I've only existed to serve. And I'm alive when I'm serving, literally. And when I'm not serving, I, I can get a little restless. And so I have this feeling that all my life I've been a catalyst. And catalysts are neither created or destroyed. Although this catalyst is kind of, you know, getting to the end of his road. And there was, I don't know if it was spiritual, but there was this revelation that uh, I've never existed except to give and serve. I were talking to a friend or a family member or a hospital patient, and they gave me these kind of cerebral, esoteric answers. That would signal to me that this person does not want to go there. They don't want to talk about their death or what they think happens after they die. But since this is a podcast, and since Dr. Mark Goulston is a death and dying specialist, I felt like I had to press him for an answer. Okay, so my question still remains. When your heart stops beating and you stop breathing, where does Mark go? Is there a Mark? Was there ever a Mark? Well, it's going to cure my insomnia. I've had insomnia for decades. You know, I'll never have to take that damn Benadryl to get to sleep again. Um, have that horrible dry mouth and wake up foggy in the morning. No, you will not. Yeah, okay. So I played along there with the Benadryl thing. But sometimes you just need to give people a little time. And I was kind of hoping that that is exactly what was happening. But to be honest, you know, maybe maybe this is part of what gives me peace is uh, I haven't really dwelled on it or given it much thought. Uh, uh, another thing that's given me peace of mind is a, uh, I've seen the difference between acceptance and surrender. Hmm. What's the difference? Well, acceptance is letting something in. Mm -hmm. Surrender is letting go of something. So here's the irony is I fully accepted that I might die. That you might die. I love that right there. Did you hear what you said? Yeah, I fully accepted that I might die but it's enabled me to let go of having to live. I'm hopeful, 
you know, there's a decent prognosis with this, uh, with this pretty aggressive treatment. If the reverse were true, I can't accept that I might die, and I have to live. I drive myself crazy. Sure. What I was pointing out, though, is that you will die, not necessarily from this disease. But I just think it's so interesting when people, including yourself, say, well, if I die, or I might die. And I'm like, no, no, you will. And so will I. It's just sort of an interesting, unconscious way of, and you said earlier, well, I haven't really thought about this. So, you know, I've been trying to figure out why am I so peaceful? Mm -hmm. I realize that everybody who has ever lived has died. And if they can do it, so can I. Why not? I mean, this is great that, that you have so much peace about it. I'm wondering what kind of dying scenario you might have in your head about what your death will look like. I'll send you a link to an article. I, I've had eight mentors. They've all died and missed them all. In fact, I'll tell you a tangent because I speak in tangents. A few of my mentors spoke in tangents. So, so my last mentor was Larry King. I used to and he did go off on a tangent. Group, you know, so let me say here that I think there is a difference between dwelling, ruminating, obsessing about our deaths, and simply thinking about it. It's probably one of the hardest things ever for us to wrap our minds around, right? It's unbelievable, and it's sad, and it's unavoidable. It will cause pain to others, so why even think about it? Because when we allow ourselves to think about death and feel our feelings around death, it drains the power out of any fear we may have. You know, it's the whole idea. If we give voice to our feelings, we can help release those feelings. And Carl Jung, the famous psychologist, said what we resist not only persists, but grows larger. So I'm thinking perhaps if we can stay curious about death, curious about our fear of death or all of our feelings about death and just hold it lightly and gently. That may be the best way. When you think about the moment of your own death, what does that look like for you? Or what do you hope uh, it looks like? So, okay, so one of my mentors, uh, he was a death and dying specialist, for probably one of the top five people in suicide prevention. So he used to refer me all these suicidal people. And, uh, and he wrote an article, which I extracted on my website, markolston.com. If you do a search for a good death, Dr. Ed Schneidman. Ah, I read that. Oh, yeah. He outlines what makes for a good death. Yeah. I want you. I want Mark. Stop. I want to know in your gigantic brain, what does Mark's death look like? Are you in a hospital surrounded by friends? Is there a dog on your bed? Is there a cat licking your nose? I mean, what do you see? What's it feel like to even think about you dying? Now you got me. Uh I, I've never said this before, but it's, uh, and I don't know if I'll be compass mentis, but I'll say, uh, you're all going to be okay. 
And it's time now for you to feel some relief. Hmm. And then after that, the best way to honor me is to enjoy your life, be kind and forgiving to people you love, be kind and forgiving to anyone. I really love my family. I respect how they want to deal with this and they don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, occasionally we'll go on walks and stuff, but I am there to listen. I am not there to force them to talk on. And something I've been trying to share with the world is that whoever you're with, one-on-one, one-on-five, one-on-five-thousand, underneath they're listening to you, they're listening for something. More often than not, they're not really conscious of it. But if you know it's always operating... If you can be just curious to know what it is without imposing anything, just knowing that they're always listening for something and just the act of being curious what it might be is, you know, if you're in a negotiation and it feels like you're pushing too hard, it's not going anywhere. It's because they're listening for something and they haven't heard it. Sometimes they're listening for safety. They're listening for acceptance, for forgiveness, for openness. You know, it's a huge list. Well, can I ask you, what what have you been listening for in this conversation? I thought I would like you, but I really like you. Thank you. But am I right that you're listening for a guest who, who in the conversation, you can think to yourself, my listeners are really going to like this. Yes. And along with that, it's not just, are my listeners really going to like this? But when is this person going to be absolutely, truly real? And in this conversation, it was when you said, your family doesn't want to talk about it. That's what hit me between the eyes, because that is so common and so hard. That's what I was listening for. And so I did ask you the question, what were you listening for? But you flipped it around and you said, here's what I think you were listening for. And I was like, no, no, Mark, Mark, I asked you, what were you listening for in this conversation? Well, let me ask you something, because I, uh, have I been too glib? Glib's not quite the right word. I feel like a little bit you're a little bit keeping me at a distance because you're telling stories that are all good. They're all really good. And I love good stories on a podcast. So no, not glib, but you had a way of not answering the question. It was very interesting to watch you either change the subject, redirect, or flip the question back to me. So, I mean, there's a little glibness, you know, because you're fun and you have a sense of humor and you're interesting and, and that's all super good. I probably have been avoiding something and, uh, well, I'll tell you right from the get go, I meant it when I said, I really like you. And so I think I pivoted to, let's have an enjoyable conversation. If we can slip in some things that'll help some people, that's fine. I mean. If, I, if you're listening in and you're dealing with this, 
And to you, I haven't been glib. I've been an asshole. I really apologize. This is a tough topic. Yeah. And 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 I may be dishonoring it by having fun with it. No, fun is good. Fun and truth can go hand in hand. Okay. It's hard to talk about. It's really hard to talk about. Yes, and that's exactly why I created this podcast, so that you can get comfortable talking about death and learn some things about life. If this conversation we're having, you know, inspired someone, just one person in some way, you know, to improve their relationship with the people they love, the world, with themselves, you know, that's... That's enough. That's enough. I know Mark inspired me, and I hope he inspired you too. So today, I'm going to let Mark have the final say. If you're listening in and you've got lots that was unsaid, whoever passed away in your life wants you to let it go. Really, I mean, oh, I should have told them I love them more. I should have... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awkward. It was uncomfortable. And whoever passed away in your life, they do not want you to beat up on yourself. Wise people know what's important. And if they're wise, they'll try to live their life accordingly. But we're at a time in our life, especially in America, where wisdom is wasted on the old. Everybody needs it, but nobody wants it. Thanks for listening to The Final Say, Conversations with People Facing Death. First of all, thanks to Dr. Mark Goulston for being so generous with his time and patient with my questions. You can find out more about Mark at his website, markgoulston.com. That's M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. And I'll put links to all of his stuff at the end of the transcripts on the website. The Final Say is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Deborah Jarvis. Please feel free to hop over to thefinalsaypodcast.com, our website, and email me with feedback, you know, questions, ideas, stories. What's up with you? Are you or do you know someone who's facing death? Let me know. Or let me know what you thought of today's episode. Let me know how you're doing. And of course, the usual, subscribe, follow this podcast, share, put it in your church bulletin, bring it up at your book group, post it in your coffee shop. And of course, I really appreciate you leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts, because that helps a lot to get more people listening to these amazing stories. So thanks again. And I want to say happy end of 2023 and happy new year 2024 to you all. And that's my final say for today and for this year. Thanks again. May you find beauty and joy in your day.